If you would, please be opening your Bibles to Ephesians 5. We're going to notice verses 14 through 17. Ephesians 5, 14 through 17. We just sang a familiar song. Take time to be holy. The words of this song were written by W.D. Longstaff. The music was composed by George C. Stebbins. Of course, in, in our songbook, it is hymn number 248. I appreciate Brother Carl leading that song. When we sing that song, what we are doing is we are in reality repeating the words of Peter. 1 Peter 1, 15-16, We're to be holy because our Father is holy. We are to mimic our God. We are to live as our Savior lived, or as closely as we can possibly do that. Now what we need to understand though, for us to be holy, we begin first by taking time to be holy, right? We have to take time out of our schedules to be holy. Let's listen again to the words of Paul. Ephesians 5, beginning with verse 14. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Redeeming the time. In other words, taking time. Taking advantage of the time. Redeem means to buy up. It means to uh, ransom. It means to rescue from loss. It means to get it back. Now once we spend our time, it's over. We can't go back and reuse our time. We can't add more to our time. We simply have to redeem it and use it wisely. Often we do not understand the value of time, do we? Think of it this way. Imagine there is a bank account that credits each of us with $86,400 every single day. We wake up in the morning and we have that money. No balance carries over from day to day. We cannot uh, borrow on tomorrow at the end of each day that money is deleted from our account. Whatever it is that we have not used, what would we do? If we were given the opportunity to have $86,400 deposited into a bank account for us and we had to use every penny of it or we would lose a portion of it, whatever we didn't use, what would we do? I would draw every cent of that money out every single day. I wouldn't lose a penny of that money. Now, I might place it somewhere else, maybe. I don't know. It would be hard to spend that kind of money, wouldn't it? But you know, each of us has a bank account that has 86,400 seconds deposited each day. It's time, isn't it? That's what we call this bank account. Every morning we're credited with that amount of time. At the end of the day, at the end of the night, what's not used is written off. What's not used is burned, is destroyed, 
We can never get it back. We can't borrow on tomorrow. We cannot use what we did not use yesterday. It is simply gone. There's no going back. We must live in today's deposit. That's all we have. The clock is running. And we better make most of it, right? To realize the value of one year, ask the student who failed his final exam. To realize the value of one month, ask the parent who has a premature child. To realize the value of one week, ask the local newspaper editor. To realize the value of one day, ask the daily wage earner who has a large family to feed. To realize the value of one hour, ask the couple who is in love waiting to meet each other that day. To realize the value of one minute, ask a person who missed the plane, the train, or the taxi cab. To realize the value of one second, ask the person who survived an accident. To realize the value of a millisecond, ask the person who won a silver medal at the Olympics. Time is important. And we must treasure every moment that we have. We must treasure it more because we have shared it with someone who means something to us. Someone who is worth our spending our time on. You know, like anything else in this life, If we're going to be successful in being holy, we must take time to be holy. Why must I set aside time to be holy and to be pleasing to God? Why must I do that? I think that's a fair question. I think we can find some answers to that question this evening. The first answer is because it is our obligation to do that. It is our obligation to set aside time to be holy, to learn how to be holy, and to practice being holy. In the second verse of our song, it says, Take time to be holy, the world rushes on. There are a whole lot of reasons why we must take time. Our lives become filled with all manner of things, don't they? We've got children we have to usher around in taxi cab everywhere. Those things are important. We have appointments that we must keep, and those things are important. We have schedules that are so hectic, they run us to the breaking point, and those things on that schedule are extremely important. To say the least, I believe we might say that we live in a fast-paced society. Sometimes we get so busy with life, though, that, well, we overlook life itself, don't we? Sometimes we miss what we're actually looking for, Notice what James said. He said, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there, buy and sell and make profit. That's who he's talking to. He says, Listen to me, those of you who say, I'm going to go do this or that, and I have these big plans, and I'm going to do this, and I'll be successful in that. He says, You listen to what I'm saying. He says, Whereas you don't know what will happen on the morrow. Now, do we need to make plans? Absolutely. We need to make plans like we are going to have tomorrow, yet we need to live like there is no tomorrow. 
He says, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little while, a little time, and then it vanishes away. James 4. Often we find ourselves worrying about things that we should not necessarily be worrying about. Now that's sometimes a little easier said than done, but we need to be careful. We need to be aware of our obligations in this life for certain. But we need to, more importantly, be aware of our obligations to God. Christ said this, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, His holiness, His right living, and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew six thirty-three. You know, we worry about the activities with our children. We worry about the schedules with our work. We worry about supporting our families, and we ought to do that, but sometimes we get so caught up in what we think is most important, we miss out on our husbands, our wives, our children, and more importantly, we miss out on God because we're not paying attention. It's almost like not seeing the forest because all those trees got in the way. That's kind of the way life is. But how do we go about taking time out of our schedules to be holy. We know there are a lot of reasons for doing that. Well, it's based upon our response to the obligation that we have. Take time to be holy. The key thought upon which this song is based is that holiness has to be pursued. Holiness doesn't just fall upon us. We do not all of a sudden wake up one morning and now we're holy. We're righteous. We're justified in the sight of God. That's just not how it happens. It has to be pursued. The writer of Hebrews, he said, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Hebrews twelve fourteen. Follow it. Chase it. Pursue it. Hunt it down. Make it something that we have to get a hold of. Make it something that we cannot live without. Paul warned Timothy. He said, flee youthful lusts. But notice he did not stop there, Second Timothy 2.22. He said, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord. How? Out of a pure heart, a holy heart, a righteous heart. A godlike heart. That's holiness, isn't it? Of course it is. Holiness is a fruit of the service of God. Have we ever thought of it that way? Paul said, But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, no longer are you a slave to Satan and sin, you're now a servant to God, you have your fruit unto holiness. And the end, that's it. Everlasting life. That's a beautiful statement. But holiness must be perfected. Now what do we mean by that word perfected? Complete. We're not sinlessly perfect in this life. But we better become complete. We better not be living a life of sin. We can't be living in sin. We better be walking in the light. Paul said, "...having therefore these promises, dearly beloved..." Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, 
perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We better be holy in the fear of God. That's a reverential fear of God. That's a fear understanding that God is righteous and He will righteously condemn those who are not holy. Those who have not taken the time to be holy. Well, how do we accomplish this task? We know there are reasons for our obligation. We know that there's a response to our obligation. But how do we complete ourselves in holiness? Well, let's notice the application. We must set aside time, first of all, for prayer to God. The words of the song encourage us to abide in Him always and to spend much time in secret with Jesus alone. It also suggests, speak oft with thy Lord, forgetting in nothing His blessings to seek. We have to examine ourselves, don't we? Who knows me better than I know myself, other than God? No one. I may present myself to be a certain thing, and I may not be that thing at all. I might even be able to fool a lot of people in this life. I can never fool God. Do I take time to be with the Lord? I have to ask myself that. Do I spend my time, my bank account of time, do I spend the proper amount in communion with God? Have you ever fallen asleep in bed at night saying a prayer? I used to kind of feel bad about that. It almost seems as if I do most of my praying while lying in bed. I don't know how that happened. Maybe at the end of a long day you're, you're thinking about the things that happened and you're looking at the things in your life that you wish you'd done a little better and maybe that spurs that communion with God and sometimes you fall asleep. I heard someone say one time when I kind of changed my thinking on it, he said, is there a better way to fall asleep than communing with God? We have to examine ourselves. Am I spending time with Him? Didn't the Lord sacrifice for us? Didn't He sacrifice so He could spend time with humanity? Now here's how what we're admonished. Hebrews 4, beginning with verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We are to go boldly before the throne of God. Not arrogantly, confidently, that He's going to answer the prayer. He answers every single prayer. Sometimes I don't understand the answer. It may appear to me that it, maybe He hasn't answered it. But maybe He simply said no. But He answers all prayers. The Lord is always ready. Our Savior stands ready at all times to make intercession on our behalf to God. But before intercession can be made, we have to go before Him, don't we? Paul said, or the writer of Hebrews, Wherefore He is able to save them to the uttermost 
that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. He can save us to the uttermost. There's not a single sin from which we cannot be forgiven if we will simply ask God to forgive us. And we repent of that sin. And Christ will intercess. We cannot overemphasize the importance of taking time to be holy and communing with our God in prayer. We just simply cannot do that. The, even the, the ability to approach the throne of God is something that is beyond my comprehension. Why He would even allow that. Here's something else we need to understand though. We're looking at the application. We need to spend time in prayer. But we need to spend some time with people, don't we? We need to be with people. How are we going to make this application? Well, these people includes our brethren, doesn't it? We need to make friends with God's children, the song says. We need to spend time in fellowship with our brethren. There's not a greater blessing than having friends of like precious faith with whom we can spend time outside of the services. Who else would we want to be friends with? The first Christians, the first century Christians, they understood that. And they practiced it. Notice, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers, Acts 2.42. They understood the importance of that fellowship and communion with one another. When we do that, it helps to ensure our steadfastness. Have you ever been engaged in some sort of an activity or an effort of some kind, uh, whether at work or in the secular world or the uh, uh, pastime or something of that nature, and you had a lot of responsibility to fulfill in that endeavor and you felt like you just didn't have any help You felt like it was all on you and you didn't really have the encouragement that you needed. That can happen in a Christian's life. We can get to the point where we feel like we're all alone. We don't have anyone to help encourage us. We can't be like that. We should never allow one of our brethren to feel that way. Notice what the writer of Hebrews said. Hebrews 10 beginning with verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What is the context of which the writer is speaking? The assembly. The congregating of the saints. Let us provoke one another unto love and to good works. When do we do that? We're doing it right now. We're doing it, we're encouraging each other right now. I'm thankful for each one of the Christians who are here today, here tonight. I'm thankful for those who would love to be here, but their health prevents it. I'm saddened for those who simply choose not to be here. Because that's not encouraging to those of us who are here. And we can't encourage them because they're not present. Spending time with people includes our brethren. But it includes others as well. What about those who are not Christians? What about those who have not obeyed the gospel? Should we not spend some time with them also? 
How are we going to introduce someone to Christ who may not even know who He is? We have to spend time with those people. We do that by helping those who are weak. It may be our brethren, but it may not be our brethren. It may be someone who, if taught, is willing to soften their hearts to what the Bible is saying and to be obedient. They need that. That isn't just a good suggestion either, by the way, is it? Notice Paul's commandment. Acts 20, verse 35. He said, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Well, what kind of weak is He talking about? Well, He may be talking about the physically weak. We need to help those who are physically weak, those who are sick in some way, physically speaking. We need to help those who are emotionally weak, those who are going through a, a, a time in their lives when things are not what they would like for them to be. I think all of us at one time or another have been in that position. But what about the spiritually weak? Those who maybe have not even obeyed the gospel yet. We better help them. Notice what he said in 1 Thessalonians 5. 14 through 15. Paul said, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Okay? How do we spend time? How do we help our brethren? Well, number one, we warn them when they're unruly, when they're not behaving properly. Comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Who's he writing to? He's writing to Christians in Thessalonica. And he says, spend time with your brethren, help support them, help encourage them, rebuke them when that's necessary, but you do that to all men. Because we want all people to be in heaven one day. There's a movement that is found in the church in some places that makes the statement and the belief You cannot help anyone who is not a member of the Lord's church. That's an anti-position. That is a forbidding position. In fact, it's an unscriptural position. I want us to listen to the words of Paul as he wrote to the Galatian brethren. He said, As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith. What does that mean? He's writing to the churches of Galatia. He's writing to those Christians. He says, do good unto all men, but particularly those of the household of faith. He didn't say only those of the household of faith. That is a devastating practice to any congregation that's reaching out to the community in which they are established. There are people in the world who need some help and they first have to know you care about them first before they ever listen to you about spiritual matters. Didn't Jesus do that? On two occasions, do you remember when He fed the 5,000 and the 4,000? What did that precede? His teaching them. He first took care of their physical needs in this life. How easy is it to listen to something about your soul's salvation when your physical body is dying from hunger? That's a difficult task, isn't it? I've never been hungry nigh unto death. 
I thought I have been in the past hungry nigh unto death. And even though I could have gone at least another 30 minutes or so without eating, it was hard for me to pay attention. Right? Christ proved His compassion for mankind and then He taught them how to save their souls. He wanted them to know that He loved them. We show the love of Christ and the love He has for all people when we give our assistance to those in need. Do you remember when He reminded His disciples of something, Matthew 25, beginning with verse 34? Do you remember when He said, Come, unto ye, come ye blessed of My Father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you? He says, I was hungry, and you fed Me. I was thirsty, and you gave Me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and I was in prison and you came and visited me. And they said, now wait a minute. Lord, when did we see you hungry and we fed you? When did we see you thirsty and we gave you drink? When did we see you naked and we clothed you? Or when were you sick or in prison and we came and visited you? Do you remember what he said? When you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. You did it to me. When we help those around us, and we're demonstrating our Christ-likeness. We're demonstrating our holiness, our righteousness, because we have obeyed the gospel, because we're living in accordance with the biblical pattern. We are demonstrating Christ's love, because He first loved us. That's what John said. We have to take time to be with the brethren. We have to take time to help those who are in need. We must take the time to be holy. Now, there's an obligation to take time to be holy. We've seen the application. And when we do that, we're going to also notice the culmination of our love. And these works will be known to people, to mankind, but more importantly, to God. How is it going to serve the one who is trying to be holy? How do these activities serve the one who's trying to be holy. Well, first of all, we're not looking for self-service. We're looking to serve, and through our service, we're being blessed. We're going to be blessed. The renderer of the obligation will be blessed by reaching out and helping those who are less fortunate. And we come to realize that as long as we are faithful in this life, it doesn't matter what the world does to us or against us. We know that that which is coming is surely worth it all. Have you ever wondered and thought about just exactly how could those first century Christians live such a faithful life of obedience to God under such terrible circumstances? To be a Christian was a death sentence handed down by the emperor of Rome. In the middle 60s, by Nero himself. By the end of the century, Domitian, the most evil man that we, the world maybe has ever known, slaughtered Christians right and left. When we, when we think about the times of the Roman Empire and we think about the gladiators and, and we see uh, in movies and in different forms of entertainment how they depict those things, and you see those people being thrown to the lions, that actually happened. But the difference is in the movies that we've watched and 
the actual happening was they didn't just throw them to the lions. They first wrapped them in animal skins that had just been freshly killed. And so you have the blood dripping from the animal hides and you have the smell of death on them. And then they would cast them to the lions. That's Domitian. That's what you got for being a Christian. Yet they did it. I've often thought, how did they do that? I think they did it by first devoting themselves to Christ. They gave themselves to Christ first. And whatever happened after that, well, that just happened. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Philippians 4.13 Because they gave themselves to Christ, Paul said, they were filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God, Philippians 1.11. What a compliment from the Lord Himself. He told the Galatian brethren exactly what those fruits were, didn't He? We've been looking at that this past summer series. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, He says, there is no law. When we serve, we're blessed. And the next life surely will be worth it all. When we serve properly, we're going to have success that we cannot even imagine. I cannot wait to see the glories of heaven. And I want to see them with each of us. But if we're going to do that, we have to first take the time to be holy. The ultimate goal for any Christian is to become more Christ-like, isn't it? The Lord said, The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. What does that mean? The characteristics of his master, right? When we, when we see someone, the son or the daughter of someone that we would known for a long time, perhaps... They'd grown aged and they passed from this life and we see their, their offspring and we say, boy, I see so-and-so in them. Now, we may see a physical likeness, but do you know oftentimes more than not what we see? Characteristics. Character. Qualities that their mother or their father held dear. And we see it in the child. That's what the Lord is talking about. We're not above the Master. We become like Him in our quality. He's our example. We're to follow Him. He took time to be in communion with the Father, and we ought to do that too. People will see a change in our life. When we take time to be holy, let me tell you, someone's going to notice, but the most important person that will notice is God Himself. A change was noticed in the life of Peter and John. Do you recall not too long after Pentecost and the church was established. Uh, Peter and John were preaching and Luke recorded for us in Acts 4.13. He says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, now we're talking about the Jewish leadership, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant man. They'd never been to school. They didn't have a uh, an education other than life itself. They marveled. And they took knowledge of them... Well, exactly what about them? That they had been with Jesus. 
So what was it about Peter and John that made those Jewish leaders understand they'd been with Jesus? Wasn't their great PhDs that they held? Wasn't their their money? Wasn't their great reputations among the uh, among the hierarchy of the Jewish religion? It was their character. It was their righteousness. When we take time for these things, it's going to influence others for good. And that's another blessing. Paul said, Meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. 1 Timothy 4.15 And our success in this world will prepare us for our service in the next. That's right. Those who do not want to serve in this life will not enjoy heaven because it's going to be an existence of service. Therefore, are they before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. Revelation seven fifteen. Always remember, when we serve, we reign with Christ. We ought to think about that. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light, for the Lord giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. We need to always take the time to be holy. We need to always live and expect righteousness from ourselves. Because God does. If we allow it, the world will rush by and take us with it. And it's happy to do that. Our time is very short in this world. It's very temporary on this earth. And we have to get our priorities in order, right? We have to come to the understanding of what it takes to please God. And taking the time to be holy is one of those things. That's one of many. But how do we begin that process? Well, I have to be a member of the Lord's church. I have to be a member of the church that I read about in the New Testament. Not a church that Rick Owens tells you about. Not a church that someone down the street tells you about. The church that God tells us about in the New Testament. I need to be a member of that organization. And we learn through a study of the Scripture exactly what Peter and John, the other apostles, what the Lord Himself taught, what Paul taught, what all those other great men of the Bible taught, How do I become a Christian? Well, it starts with faith. I believe Jesus Christ is who He said He was, John 8, 24. Because of that, I want to repent of past sins. I want to be holy. I want to be righteous. I want to stand justified in the sight of God. And when I repent, I'm going to turn away from those sins. I'm not going to live in that way anymore. I want to live like Christ, leading me to confess my belief that He is the Son of God in the presence of other people so they know that I believe that Jesus is who He said He was, and that I'm not ashamed of Him. Isn't that what Paul said? Romans 16, 16, for I'm, or Romans 1, 16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm not ashamed of that. Being immersed in water for the forgiveness of my sins, that's what Peter said, Acts 2, 38. That's what Ananias taught, Acts 22, 16. It's what puts me into the body, Romans 6, 3 and 4, in Galatians 3, 26 and 27. I come up out of that watery grave to do what? Take time to be holy. Live a faithful life. 
2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. Waiting on that crown. Loving the appearance of Christ when He comes. If you haven't done that, take time today to do that. If you have become unfaithful, take the time to repent today. Take the time to be holy. If you have need to answer this Lord's invitation, do that now as we stand and as we sing.